It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, and the European football expert, Kevin Hatchard. Hello. Hello. And TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. How are you? I'm good. Only seven fixtures to preview, but some big stories to squeeze in too. Potter doesn't have a magic wand, but at least part of the spell seems to be working in the Champions League. Liverpool get lucky, but clean sheets are a problem. Same old Tottenham. Rashford is injured out for the World Cup. And a weekend that will see Arsenal and City have the chance to take control of the Premier League. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Hey, hey, hello. What a Champions League midweek that was. Very entertaining, as always. Kevin, the big story was the first game in charge of Chelsea for Graham Potter. I thought there was an eagerness and a zip and a tempo about Chelsea, especially in the first half. A desire to take risks. It looked far more entertaining than it has been recently, but there was a familiar issue, and that was goal scoring. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's going to take time for Graham Potter to bed in the style that he wants. I think what we did see that was very interesting, actually, is this idea that he reacts to other teams in a similar way to Thomas Tuchel does, actually, in that he looks at what dangers they pose and he comes up with solutions to combat that. So his solution on uh, Wednesday night against Salzburg was to try and create wits because what Salzburg do as a classic Red Bull team, they push everything through the middle. So it's all about pressing. It's all about congesting that middle. So that's why he put Raheem Sterling out wide on the left-hand side, trying to get him to combine with Mark Kukurea. I think Kukurea is going to be a really important player for Chelsea going forward because he's got that ability to play in a wide centre-back area, but also make those surging runs out to the left-hand side and create space that way. So Chelsea only conceded, I think, four shots altogether. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Okafor was able to put away one of them and they ended up with a one-all draw. But I think there was some encouraging things there mm. for Chelsea fans to latch on to. Interesting that he chose Kepalari the Balaga as the goalkeeper, bearing in mind uh, the problems that he's had in the past. Um, but he is better with his feet than Mendy, which I suppose was one of the reasons why they turned to him. Plus, Mendy's had a very difficult start to the season. Um, there was a lot of talk about Sterling's position, especially during the game, actually. We know that Potter doesn't really, Crook, believe in formations in the traditional sense. Um, I thought they were playing a hybrid formation, personally. I thought it was more that uh, James was playing as a wing-back high on the right-hand side. Cucurella played as a sort of tucked-in left-back stroke centre-back. So they were playing a hybrid four, a lopsided four, which meant that Sterling can play higher up on the left-hand side, not worry too much about defensive duties. I've looked at the heat map of Sterling and the average positions of the Chelsea players, and it sort of lends itself to that, really, with Silva and Afpilicueta being the main centre-halves, um, and Cucurella sort of just shifting over slightly to sort of cover the gap in behind uh, Sterling. Uh, but that sort of te- tactical flexibility will be demanded of the players by the new coach. Yeah, it was home from home from Potter, really, uh, inheriting a side who, up until Aubameyang's arrival, haven't really had an out-and-out number nine. They're a team full of false number nines who, who never score any goals. Uh, that's Brighton in a nutshell. So uh, it's not alien territory for Graham Potter. I think you saw signs of the, the, the partnerships that Kevin has talked about, not just Kukurea and Sterling, but maybe Sterling and Aubameyang as well. Mm. Uh, Aubameyang still yet to fire. I think what we've seen from last night, and you said it in the intro, there is no magic wand. Obviously, apply on the Potter analogy. That's not been done before. Do you want to explain um, it just so that everyone gets it? <laughs> it's going to take time. It's jokes it's that you have to time. sort of explain are always the best ones. And in some ways, I wonder if Graham Potter might be semi-relieved. They don't have to play Liverpool this weekend because it gives them a little bit longer 
to work with the players and, and to try and get his principles in place. Okay, there's so many uh, stories from some of the games that are upcoming. Obviously, we've got a slightly different schedule this weekend because of the uh, respect that needs to be paid to the Queen's passing and the policing that is uh, required to manage the crowds that are going to be in London means that it's going to be very difficult for some of the big derby matches that were planned for this weekend or the big grudge matches this weekend to take place. So Chelsea-Liverpool, which was supposed to take place at 4.30 on Sunday, has gone because... The, the feeling is is that the Met Police can't look after that and look after preparations for the funeral. And obviously the movement of people from Liverpool to, to London at a time when everybody's trying to come to London because of the, the events of the week. Um, and also the game between Manchester United and Leeds has gone for the same reason in a, in a weird way, because a lot of the police that are used to look after the funeral will be taken out of different regions. So Manchester, for example, all leave has been cancelled for, for most police officers and as a result of that, it means that there's not people on hand to look after big events like Manchester United Leeds is a massive event. It's a big sort of grudge match. So the idea that that could continue without the requisite number of police is, is, is not is not right. So uh, that one's been got, gone as well. But we have got a programme of seven matches. TalkSport got two live games on the network on Saturday and then Sunday. Both early kickoffs, 1230 um, is Wolverhampton Wanderers against Manchester City on Saturday and on Sunday it's Brentford against Arsenal and we've also got two matches on Friday night for you as well which we're very much looking forward to so let's get into it yeah. Wolverhampton Wanderers against Manchester City is live on TalkSport on Saturday at 12.30 and all the pre-match chat will centre on old and new strikers Kevin Hungry Haaland redefined Diego now dancing with Wolves uh, which is good because Wolves have found to score in three of their last five league matches. Can he show them how? How? Get it? Get it? Get it? I think the Diego Costa thing, as long as he's got over that experience with having to film with actual wolves in his introduction video. I mean, he's a tough guy, but everybody's got their limits. And I suspect he reached his uh, being introduced to a pack of wolves for a promo shoot. Um, I'm fascinated to see how he does. Because when he went back to Atletico, for example, there was a lot of talk, oh, this is great. He's going to come back. He's going to score lots of goals. Just didn't happen for him in that second spell. And he's obviously been back in Brazilian football. Uh, I'm really intrigued as to how he does. The The intensity will still be there. The passion will still be there. The, the kind of dark arts will still be there. Mm. But is the quality still there? So we'll see how that goes. I have to say, before we move on I'm gutted for Sasha Kalajic I'm absolutely oh, devastated for him what a terrible thing to happen to someone because he has had a serious injury before he's had a couple of serious injuries now but he's had a serious knee problem before so just explain to that, those people who haven't followed it he, he's picked up an injury in the first half of the first game that he yeah. played for Wolves uh, that is going to keep him out for what nine months nine months yeah that's right and it, it is so dispiriting because, you know, players will tell you that kind of injury, you have to fight so hard to get back. And then the problem is you can't quite trust your body 100% when you do come back. And he's an unusual player because he's 6'7". He's got these, you know, these long legs and you just you just wonder how it's going to go for him going forward. But I really hope that he can get back to full fitness and that he can show us what he's capable of because he is a, a really good striker. So I think that's a real shame for him and a real shame for Wolves. And Bruno Lage must wonder how many mirrors he's smashed, how many black cats he's seen, how many ladders he's walked under because he finally got the striker he wanted and he got injured for the rest of the season. So we'll hope that Diego Costa can actually bang in some goals. Just quickly, Crook, how did the deal come about? Do we know? Um, well, Mr. Mendes, <laughs> I would imagine, um, heavily involved as he often is. But what was Diego Costa doing? What was to indicate that he wanted to come back? I mean, because I thought his career was pretty much over. Yeah, was was his last appearance something like fourteen months ago, maybe longer. So, um, listen, I think it's probably fanciful to think he'll even even feature too heavily in this game. I know before the last round of fixtures were called off, I was speaking to my contacts at Wolves and saying, "Will he be registered in time to play?" And they said, "Well, it's irrelevant really because he's not match fit." So, I think it's going to take a while for him to get up to match fitness. I'd imagine he'll be on the bench and, and maybe get a few minutes in this game, but they might decide to keep him in cold storage until after the international break. But it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating, as, as Kev says, to see what kind of Diego Costa we are going to get. If he's hungry and he wants to prove a point, I think he could be a really clever signing if he's not 
particularly in tip-top condition, it, it could have the opposite effect. does look quite lean. I mean, you know, I, I looked at the, some of the pictures from him, uh, from training, and he's, he's, he's joined in full training this week. There are sort of like whispers that he could actually be involved on Saturday. And he's done quite a lot of work with a tailored fitness program to try and bring him up to speed. He, he, he actually looks leaner than I've seen him a lot, uh, yeah, for a long time, really. I mean, it's, it's a good advert for sitting on the beach. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Probably because is... the wolves ate some of him in the, in the <laughs> promo shoot. <laughs> Took it's... a chunk out of him, and he looks a lot leaner than he did. Oh, there we go. That's a there's a there's a, a a diet plan for all of us. Uh, Manchester City have suffered back to back disappointments on their travels, drawing at Villa and Newcastle. They also struggled really in midweek to to win their game against Borussia Dortmund. They hardly had a sniff old Haaland until he scored the winner with six minutes to go in that game. Um, but, you know, look, it's one of those things. Villa and Newcastle, actually, they, they sort of snuffed them out and they had a bit of a, a goal threat about them as well, both those two teams. But Wolves really don't have that much of a goal threat apart from, obviously, the new signing, um, if that is even the thing this weekend. Um can they frustrate City into submission? That will have to be the game plan, won't it? I think it's a conundrum, actually, when it comes to the fantasy league this weekend, because obviously a lot of the fixtures are off, so it's, it's problematic anyway. Haaland is the natural captaincy choice. But Wolves don't concede that many goals. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's a given that he necessarily does bang in goals in this fixture. Pep Guardiola might even be tempted to give him a rest, because obviously he's started, I think, every game um, so far this season. It was probably quite an emotional uh, experience for him against Borussia Dortmund in the week. I did like his answer. I think he was asked in the mix zone afterwards, but they did quite a good job keeping you quiet, your old team. He still scored, you know, and then moved on, I think, um, which sums up <laughs> Erling Haaland. But I, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think Manchester City will win, um, but I don't think it will be the formality maybe that a lot of people expect. Yeah, City have scored uh, 22 goals this season so far. Not a bad total for and nine games of the season. Um, I noticed Pep getting frustrated in a press conference when asked a rather basic question uh, the other day. I don't know if you saw that. Is he right to get a little annoyed with the lack of uh, more thoughtful interrogation or, or should he show a little bit more decorum and be above it all, Kevin, do you think? It's just Pep being Pep. This is exactly what happened in Germany. Um, he would be asked a question and he would say, why don't you ask me really good football questions? And then you'd ask really good football questions and he'd look at you as if you'd just been dug up. Yeah. It's just all, all entirely having, on Having experienced mood. that firsthand quite <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yes. I, I, I do have sympathy with anyone who has to ask him a question because he it really does depend on... Actually, it doesn't really depend on his mood. He's always like it. So whatever question you ask him, unless you are particularly lucky... And they've 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 played outstandingly well, and you can just say really nice, positive things, which happens quite a lot actually. Um, but even then, sometimes he makes that like into a, a bad question. You can talk to him about what was the key to success today. He says it's not about today; it's about over the last. So <laughs> why do you ask me that? We've won seventy two games out of seventy five games. Why are you asking? Of course, this team's great. He's like, oh, okay, right, fine. Okay, he's just very contrary. Yes, isn't he, just, he? he just he just wants to pick a fight. It, it is it's yeah. it's one of those things about him that uh, yeah I don't know I, I don't know you can't you can't sort of justify his behaviour because he is obviously a genius but he can come across and some of it is like you know frustration but people aren't asking him the questions he wants to be asked but actually the job of a football manager isn't just to sit there and answer questions that you want to be asked sometimes yeah. you have to ask the questions that people want to know the answers to which might be different to the agenda that you're trying to push at one particular time look at him in the referee in midweek he yeah. had that absolutely insane exchange with the referee where he had a go at the referee. The referee booked him. He then hugged the referee, walked away, and then thought, no, I'm going to have another go at him. And then walked <laughs> straight back and started shouting at him. And he needed Haaland to come across and kind of push them apart. It was very, very odd. Uh, he could ask for a better bodyguard. He couldn't ask for a better bodyguard than Erling Haaland, though. Could yeah, you? that's I mean, true. Crikey. I mean, that is, uh, that's some security detail. Um, th this game would be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been to Molyneux this season um, and I haven't seen Manchester City in the flesh. Oh, yes, I have. I saw them in the Community Shield. So I'd like to see the match. They didn't play particularly well that day, though. They didn't have their connections sparking with Haaland at that point. So looking to, to see him 
um, reconnect with his teammates once again, have uh, eight touches and score three goals. And Wolverhampton Wanderers plough away, trying to keep them out for as long as possible. That's 12.30 on Saturday. 5.30 on Saturday is Tottenham against Leicester. I was uh, doing the game in Portugal this week uh, where Tottenham lost their unbeaten run. Uh, they missed chances. They controlled the game. They conspired to lose the game. <laughs> Sounds like a familiar Tottenham story. I thought this flaky, shaky Spurs had disappeared, Crook. No, I think it had been coming, to be honest. I think if you look at their performances this season, maybe apart from on the opening day against Southampton when they blew them away in the second half, I think Tottenham have been poor performance-wise. I think they've been... Uh, probably accumulating more points than their displays have deserved. And I think ultimately that caught up with them in Lisbon. Um, listen, it was obviously dramatic, the manner of the defeat, two quick-fire goals right at the end of the game. But Ugo Lloris have made a number of decent saves to that point. And they're not quite clicking, uh, particularly as a, an attacking force. And Son has been emblematic of that. And I think he's quite fortunate to still have his place in the team because Richarlison, I think, has made a, a really strong claim that he should be in from the start. Kulusevski is a wonderful player, as he proved at the end of last season. Antonio Conte has shown loyalty to Son based on what he's achieved in the past. I wonder if that loyalty uh, may well be about to run out. But um, I still think any team with Emerson Royal as your first choice right back is you can't take them seriously as title contenders. With the greatest respect in the world to him, of course. Well, and that is something actually that I was looking at in midweek because if you look at the way that they uh, operated, it was very clear that um, Sporting had put Pedro Porro very much high up on the left-hand side to nullify the effect of Ivan Perisic, who obviously is quite a creative player, but Tottenham lacked creativity because he, he wasn't able to get really on the ball. Son's not very confident, doesn't look great. Uh, Emerson Royale had probably two or three really good chances, got into some fantastic positions. They were quite happy for him to get into. It's like, you know, when you're a football manager, you identify strength and weaknesses. And the strength, obviously, for Tottenham is mostly down that left-hand side with um, Son and with uh, Perisic. And then Royale, you can look at him and go, Do you know, well, he's a good athlete, he gets up and down very well. But in terms of his football ability, he, he, he will give you opportunities to win the ball back because he's quite sloppy in possession, doesn't take the chances. I mean, he had two, probably the two best chances of the game for Tottenham Hotspur, missed them both. He got into some good crossing positions, overhit the ball or didn't play the right pass at the right time. There are other problems that they had. They missed other opportunities. Richarlison had one great opportunity which he probably should have buried. But ultimately, you know, oh, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be too surprised if the over time that right back role either reverts to Matt Doherty or ends up going into the Jed Spence territory, Kevin. Uh, Sam, I think it's wild that Emerson Royale is their starting right wing back. When you think that the wing back positions are the most important in Conte's teams generally mm. because of what they're asked to do. And I just I just think he's so ragged in his play. I, I think, yes, he's athletic. Yes, he gets up and down the flank. But there's no finesse about what he does. I think he's suspect defensively. And you need somebody decisive in those moments. And Tottenham wing-backs are going to get chances. Perisic is great. Uh, there's no problem with him whatsoever. Um, how he's going to be able to, you know, play all those games going forward, we'll see. But... I, I I wouldn't lie. I'd, I've not seen loads of Jed Spence. I, I, I wouldn't profess to have seen him loads uh, for Forrest last season. But everybody I speak to, and I mean everybody, says that he was Forrest's best player by a mile last season. Yeah, so, one of them, yeah. I, unless there's something he's not showing to Conte, you know, you've got to think he's got to be the option going forward. Just with Son, by the way, he must be knackered. Honestly, I know that's really basic analysis, but you know, international breaks, he's flying so many miles to play for South Korea. And over time, that makes a massive difference. He's been Tottenham's, one of Tottenham's key players for years. Yeah. When's he had a break? He has So he's always going to crash at some stage. And he's got the pressure of a World Cup later this year. So I think Conte probably should take him out the firing line for a bit. I think he's got to because he's really not playing very well. Um, in, his touch is off. He's, he's got, he looks to be lacking in confidence so much so that, you know, he's actually a bit of a hindrance, really. It's breaking down a lot when it reaches him. 
Um, and when Kulisevsky comes off the bench, I mean, fantastic. He, I mean, he really is yeah. a a driving force full of hunger and creativity. He created chances as soon as he came off the bench. He was electric after the uh, coming off the bench against Marseille the previous week, and he was brilliant again against Sporting. Um, Leicester have got the second worst defence in the league, so you'd expect that if he does select Kulisevsky, Kane and Richarlison, they'll find a way, even if they haven't been at their best this season. Crook. Leicester will get well beaten. Based on what I saw against Brighton in, in their last game, defensively, they were an absolute shambles. Um, Johnny Evans, to me, looks like he's playing a little bit from memory. The partnership at the heart of the defence with Ndidi just doesn't work. They're a team lacking in confidence. The goalkeeper's not good enough to be a Premier League number one. I'm sorry, but that's the brutal reality. You can tell the back line don't have any trust in Danny Ward. I'd be very surprised if Tottenham don't win this at a canter and put more pressure on Brendan Rodgers. I think one key point here, and I agree with everything Crooks just said, but I think about Fires will be really interesting because Brendan Rodgers has talked about him a lot recently, about his defensive ability, his ability to pass out from the back. And what it would do if he starts is it'll actually let Ndidi play in this proper position, which, which would be a start. Strange. I, I cannot understand it because you weaken the midfield because he's their best holding midfielder and you weaken centre-back because he can't play centre-back mm. because he could do all the defensive basics but people will tell you playing defensive midfield and centre-back are totally different positions mm. in terms of you know your vision what you've got to it was all over the place of. against Brighton yeah because he's not a centre-back and if you're Chalosunju, look, I understand he's had some awful performances I get that I totally get that but how demoralising must that be for him when you're pretty much picking everybody apart from the tea ladies, play centre-back. It's insane, really. Uh, Timothy Castagna was dropped for that game against Brighton, wasn't he, as well? Brian, Brendan Rodgers was sort of asked about this. He said, I'm trying to correct a porous defence. And then they went on to concede five. Um, it actually took 19 games for Rodgers to concede uh, 19 goals in his... Uh, sorry, 16 goals in his first full season in charge. They are woefully underperforming on their XG against as well, which means that they shouldn't really be conceding as many goals as they are. And some of that is weldy hits. Some of that is is the fact that they just are making basic, basic mistake. Uh, Tottenham's unbeaten run that ended in Portugal. Can they bounce back or is this going to be double disappointment? You'll find out on Saturday at 5.30. Newcastle against Bournemouth, three o'clock on Saturday. Newcastle fans and Bournemouth fans are probably in different moods right now. Um, but they both have seven points. Who would have thought that until you looked at the league table and realised it? But then again, if AR hadn't canned uh, about 17 Newcastle goals, uh, then Newcastle will probably be top of the table. Uh, but they aren't. They're in 11th and they will expect to get three points against Bournemouth on a day which uh, I suppose will be quite emotional for Eddie Howe, about as emotional as Eddie Howe gets, which means he'll just sort of flicker an eyebrow once or twice. I think it'd be difficult for Eddie Howe. In fact, I know that he's dreading this game um, against his former club. Um, I think it's a scenario that maybe he didn't necessarily envisage would happen so quickly when he left because obviously Bournemouth were in the championship at that time. He didn't know where his next port of call would be. And I think all of the pressure is on Newcastle because I think they're on the same number of points as Bournemouth at this stage of the season. And if you look at the fact that Bournemouth have been trounced on one or two occasions, you wouldn't necessarily expect that. Uh, yes, they've had good performances in defeat against Liverpool and drawing with Manchester City. But if they don't win this game, then I think there would be a little bit of pressure on Eddie Howe early in the season because they have invested heavily, not just this summer, but in the January transfer window as well. Bournemouth are at a low ebb. You know, they didn't get in the players that Scott Parker wanted in the summer. They've got a caretaker manager, uh, at least for this game and maybe uh, for the first game back after the international break as well. So I think there's an awful lot of pressure on, on Eddie Howe and on Newcastle. Newcastle have signed Loris Carius on a free transfer as cover for Nick Pope. He's been on a free, actually, for three months. He literally couldn't give him away. <laughs> Stop it. That's not fair. It's not fair, is it, Kevin? He was all right when he went back to German football, was he? Uh, no, he didn't really play. Uh, he went to Union Berlin and couldn't become the number one there, even though there was a lot of fuss around him. And uh, Andreas Luther, who was well in his well into his thirties, kept that role instead. Uh -huh. So uh, I think it's just a guy who's lost lost his confidence completely. I do feel uh, sorry for him because I interviewed him. I did the only interview with him on the night of the Champions League final in Kiev, and wow. he cried. And yeah, of it course, was really. 
heartbreaking. He only stopped once and he talked to me about what it felt like and he was heartbroken and I felt then so sorry for him. I do feel sorry for him now actually because I can imagine that that is so hard to get rid of that from your mind. So hard. So hard. Well, he's never recovered. You, you look at Bajiktash, made error after error after error, hasn't been able to show in training what he could do at Union. I, th- I think a lot of people in German media, when he went to Union, just assumed he'd be the number one. And I think he did as well, to some extent. And then suddenly, Urs Fischer who is the Union coach, who has got them top of the Bundesliga, by the way, is a brilliant coach. The one thing he will not do... You have to remind do, me about that. It's not 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 pleasant viewing. I going to say, we picked the wrong Berlin team. No, we? we didn't pick the wrong Berlin. We put the authentic <laughs> Berlin team. We were absolutely fine with our choice, even though we're just hovering above the relegation playoffs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that notion of authenticity, uh, I think Union fans would debate. Yeah. But... I'm not interested. The one thing their coach doesn't do is all is um, sentimentality, and he just didn't put him in. He didn't play well enough in training, and I think his confidence was already nosediving before that Champions League final in Kiev. And now, I think he's shot to pieces. I, I think I'd be very, very surprised if he returns at the top level. Uh, Bournemouth have conceded eighteen goals in six games, but are they as bad as that suggests, or are those numbers misleading? Bearing in mind Gary O'Neill was altered their approach. And is he going to get a couple of extra games here? Yeah, as I say, I think he'll be in charge certainly for this one and probably for the first game back after the international break as well. I think he did well in the Forest game. He, he spotted that the the system that he set up with at the start of the match wasn't working, changed to a back three for the second half, used Tavernier as a left wing back, which I think was the role that he was uh, purchased to do. So I'd imagine it will be similar against Newcastle. Have they been as bad as those numbers suggest? No, because of course they conceded nine against Liverpool in one game. They played very well on the opening day against Aston Villa, stifled their attacking threat, made themselves difficult to play against, probably should have lost to Wolves and then had that comeback victory against Forest. I think they're probably ahead of schedule because let's be honest, Scott Parker wasn't wrong in all that he said. It is largely a championship team. If they stay up this season, bearing in mind the quality at the bottom end of the Premier League, I think they've done remarkably well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Aston Villa against Southampton and Nottingham Forest against Fulham are on TalkSport and TalkSport 2 this Friday night. Both 8 o'clock kickoffs. Join us uh, for that. Villa and Steven Gerrard relieved the pressure with a point against City last time out. Seems a long time ago now. There was a bit of a solidity about them against uh, Manchester City though, Kevin. If they retain that, do they beat Saints? I find Southampton fascinating. I really do because I know Alex was talking a lot about the kind of mood around the club at the start of the season. There was a lot of talk about whether Ralph Hasenhutl was going to go and whether some players were surprised that he didn't go. That was mainly from Sam. uh, Yeah, well, you know. Mainly Uh, based on statistics. (laughs) But I think whether by accident or design, I think they've hit upon the kind of thing that Hasenhutl wants in that he wants young players who he can shape, who he can mould, who he can develop, who will play his way. And I think they've done some really good business. I know it's a little risky, um, but but I think they've signed some sensational players. I'm gobsmacked by how well Bella Kochap's done because we knew he was talented 
But his performances for Borkum in the Bundesliga last season was so up and down. But he's been sensational. He's been very good. Games. Yeah, really. Can he good. sustain that over the course of a season, though? That's the probably that's the, the massive big question. question. And he's still very raw. He's still very young. And last season with Borkum would suggest that he can't. But obviously he's got a better coach with Haas and Huttel. And I'll be really interested to see how they do. On Villa, I find the solidity question really interesting because the whole thing when Gerard first came in was about he built the Rangers' success on that solid base. It was about them being very good defensively. And then you add Stardust where you can. Villa haven't had that, certainly haven't had that recently. And that's why the big questions are being asked, especially because Beale has moved on and he was said to be one of the big building blocks of the coaching that Gerard would go to him and say, right, I want to play this way. You go and sort it out. Now, whether that's unfair or not, Gerard's got a lot of puzzles to solve. So I think this is a fascinating game because I think Saints are improving. Um, I think they look better with uh, Kamara, Louise and McGinn in the middle of the park, Aston Villa. Um, Southampton, more leaks than the corroded pipe. They haven't kept a clean sheet in 12 consecutive matches. And that speed that Villa have on the break might just test them, Crook. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think they're a team who will always give you a chance. I mean, what Kev has said about Bella Kopchap is probably fitting for the whole team because when you have young players you know that they're going to make mistakes Gavin Bazunu possibly was at fault for the goal that they conceded in defeat against Wolves though it took a nasty bobble uh, right in front of the goalkeeper but he is a keeper as we know from his time down the south coast at Portsmouth that will make mistakes it's going to be the same for a lot of those young players I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is quite an interesting signing uh, recruited on deadline day because he brings that little bit of Premier League experience that little bit of Premier League know-how which they're lacking, obviously having let Oriol Romeo who scored in his debut for Girona go. So I think he'll be quite important alongside Ward Prowse in the middle of the park. I'm really fascinated by Shea Adams, um, a player who has always had plenty of heart, plenty of endeavour, plenty of work rate, but has struggled for goals. Take away the miss from a yard out against Wolves. I mean, that is a, a contender for an own goals and gaffes video for years to come if we still made them. But he has been immense at the start of this season and he's been immense since Southampton blocked a move that he wanted to make to Everton. And it goes one of two ways when that happens. You either you either sulk and your form completely deserts you or you go out and prove a point. Well, he's certainly done the latter. And if he can maintain that level of form, I think they'll be fine. Uh, will Gerard keep the same team or mix it around? Because Southampton really aren't Manchester City. And the problem has been, actually, he's been mixing it around too much and no one's really sort of formed the connections that are necessary. I think he might be tempted to stick uh, because he's been trying to find a formula to get more solidity, get more control of the game. Yes, there's a difference between doing that against Manchester City and doing it against Southampton. I think it would be odd if he changed the team, to Kevin, be honest. What do you think? I think that's a big big criticism of Villa fans that he, as you say, picks a different team every yeah. week. Yeah, I, th- I think he does need to have... I think, you know, it's part of those connections we talked about right at the top about Chelsea. It's about a structure that everybody's comfortable with on camera, by the way, I do genuinely think he's going to be brilliant as the season goes on, as he gets more settled, as he plays more games. I I, I was a gobsmacked that Villa were able to get him because everybody knew he was going to be available. There were top clubs that needed him. I was very surprised United, Manchester United didn't push harder for him because he's been a rising star for a while. And I do think if he gets a regular run of games for Villa, I think he can be very effective in that central midfield area. Nottingham Forest take on Fulham 8 o'clock on Friday night. Fulham were head and shoulders above Nottingham Forest in the championship in terms of points. And uh, I suppose some would argue they may be better equipped for the Premier League than Steve Cooper's mixture of misfits from across the globe because they've been together a little bit longer, Kevin. I think it's about time. Uh, I think the quality, I know that there've been loads of memes and you name it about Forrest and all the people that they've brought in. But I do think there's quality there. I, I think he's so do I. I can't believe how many great players they've brought in. Like really good, like yeah. Yeah, Renan Lodi, for example. What a great player to have brought into the Premier League if you're a bottom half team. And if you if you'd have told me that a team like Forrest would have Raymo Freuler uh, and Taiwo Awoni on their bench mm. for the last game. You know, that's extraordinary, really. That was a massive blow for them to lose that game against Bournemouth. And it's how they process that psychologically because to be 2-0 up against a team that you're battling with to avoid the drop and then lose that game, that's an enormous setback. But I do think that they have the quality to survive. 
it's about finding a consistent lineup. Just on Fulham, by the way, Mitrovic, right, hands are held up here. Hands are held up. Are you, are you please forgive me in here? I wasn't sure. If I thought he was going to be kind of England's answer to Simon de Rodder, who's a guy who scores loads of goals in Germany in the second tier, can't score in the top flight. Yeah. But wow, he, he's proved me wrong and how. Just to pick up on what Kev said there about the, the, the quality of, of Forest bench, therein lies a problem, I think, if you're Steve Cooper, because you look at the bench being Kone, Awonyi, Froiler, Dennis. I think these are all players that have been purchased by the owner. The fact that Steve Cooper, the manager, is sticking with the likes of Worrell, Steve Cook, McKenna. I mean, that's a championship back line. Yates in midfield is clearly not a better player than Freuler, who I know you both rate highly. Mm. If you're slightly different picking... players, though, aren't they? Yates is a more sort of defensive-minded midfield player, whereas uh, Freuler is very much an attacking midfield. I mean, Yates has got his attacking abilities, but he's more solid than than Freuler. But the point is, if your owner has backed you as much as he has, twenty odd players recruited this summer, and you're still picking the existing lineup, and you're not winning games, I think Steve Cooper is putting an awful lot of pressure on himself. And we know that the owner um, is a little bit eccentric, shall we say. Just because I think he wrote Nottingham a great Forest pop song doesn't game, make him eccentric. I mean, you know, we all have a desire to express ourselves differently. Unpredictable then. But if Forrest lose this game going into an international break, I wouldn't be surprised if questions are asked about Steve Cooper's position. Oh. He's raising the axe. He loves to raise the axe over someone, doesn't he? He never, he never called Thomas Tuchel uh, as the uh, next one to get sacked, but he did call Scott Parker and hasn't stopped talking about that phrase. Basically, if you just throw loads of names out, eventually one will get sacked. Like, I told you. It might. I told you that, <laughs> that Jürgen Klopp wasn't any good. Yeah, yeah you, but you, you mentioned you've it history when it comes to Thomas Tuchel because I said in May that uh, if Abramovich was still there, he would be under pressure and actually didn't need Abramovich still to be there. But he, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Um, no, of course not. And he was under pressure because of his relationship with the with the hierarchy, not because of anything else, really, to be honest. Although it was pretty dull watching Chelsea for the last couple of weeks. And that was one of the things I noticed in midweek. I actually quite enjoyed watching that first half. Um, so how do a defence that have conceded 14 goals uh, cope with Alexander Mitrovic? Is, is it possible? I, I think it probably won't be. Will it, Kevin? I mean, he's you know, we talked about Haaland and whether or not he might score... Uh, a bucket load of goals against Wolves, probably not. But Mitrovic might be a, a shout for fantasy football everywhere this weekend. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it was interesting that Alex mentioned the, the back line for Forrest because I think Moussini Akate's injury was a real problem for them because I think he would have been somebody that would have improved that back line, somebody who does the defensive basics ever so well. And he would have been one of the guys that would have been detailed to try and match Mitrovic in the air. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the thing that's really impressed me about Mitrovic is not just the fact that he can attack the ball in the air. It's his strength, his hold-up play, his link play, and his finishing as well. He's been absolutely sensational. So, you know, you kind of just accept that he's going to get chances. But, you know, I, I'm very surprised Freuler isn't starting. Maybe it's a fitness thing. Maybe it's, you know, he's not quite on board in training with exactly what Cooper wants to do. It'll probably Maybe take time, time on him. I, Possibly. I don't, know. I don't know about that. I mean, it sounds like a good... Look, I think Steve Cooper was quite heavily involved, wasn't he, with the, the recruitment process? I don't think... Any good coach is not going to... And look, Steve Cooper knows his football. Uh, if you get Remo Freuler gift-wrapped to yeah. the training ground. You're going to take You it. don't go, no, he's rubbish. Don't don't bring him in. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. You, you you just know he is an experienced quality player, great passer of the ball, good leader, kind of guy you want in your dressing room. So uh, even if he wasn't heavily involved, and I don't know if that's true or not, but even if he wasn't, I don't think any coach who knows his football would be annoyed about that signing. No, I don't think so either. Brentford against Arsenal kicks off at midday. The game's live and only on TalkSport. We can't wait for this. Um, Arsenal have had two games disrupted uh, by uh, the events of uh, this week and they'll be desperate to get this on. In fact, we're desperate to get this on. Um, maybe the the break has sort of helped Mikel Arteta a little bit to concentrate in training and also get Thomas Partey back because he looks as if he's going to be fit. Uh, they'll be looking to bounce back from what was an unfortunate defeat to Manchester United two weeks prior. Now, Crook, do you want to talk about that and accept that it was a slightly fortunate victory for Manchester United or are you going to challenge that and therefore I'll just ask Kevin? No, no, I won't, I won't challenge it uh, other than that 
Mikel Arteta tactically maybe got a little bit found out. But I think this is a fascinating game for Arsenal because they didn't play particularly well in the game where they beat Fulham at home. Then they obviously lost against Manchester United. So I think we're going to find out this weekend if their start to the season uh, was a lot down to the fact they were presented with a kind fixture list or if they really have, as we suspect, and as I saw with my own eyes at Bournemouth, turned into a decent football team. But Brentford are going to cause them problems. Ivan Tony, high in confidence, um, will, I think, pose problems to that back line. Obviously, they lost at Brentford on the opening day of last season, so they've got some demons to lay to rest as well. And it will be a test of their mentality how they recover from their first significant setback of the season. I think this game is going to tell us a lot about Arsenal in 22-23. I think what it tells us as well is the impact of players like Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus because they're winners and they're guys who are used to coming through fixtures like this with three points. And mm. I think it's a great barometer of where Arsenal are at. I think Alex is absolutely right about last season. You look at that performance at Brentford and it felt like classic Arsenal, didn't it? Flaky Arsenal, you know, bullied and, and giving away goals that you shouldn't be giving away. So Brentford will test them. There's no question about that. You look at the way they've played against some of the top teams since they've come into the Premier League. They won't play with any fear. Tony's in brilliant form. I think Burmo's a terrific player. Uh, and I think... There, this is a really interesting game. In, in many ways, the most fascinating game of the weekend because it probably is a true litmus test of where Arsenal are right now. Um, what about uh, Brentford? I think they, obviously, we know how they can test anyone. They did to Manchester United what many people didn't expect. They've scored a lot of goals, 15 and 16, the Premier League's joint highest scorers. Uh, obviously, they're a bit leaky at the back as well. They'll look to hit on the break. That has been a bit of a problem for Arsenal to deal with because they do dominate the ball quite a lot. They do take the game to the opposition and Brentford have the players in transition to really hurt them. Yeah, they do. I've been really impressed with Brentford this season. I, th I thought they were a joy to watch, uh, not against Manchester United, but against Leeds. Um, <laughs> I like the partnership between Ivan Tony and Burmo. I think that's going to cause problems for, for any defence this season. And I think Thomas Frank actually maybe was a little bit unlucky that Chelsea didn't cast an admiring glance in his direction because I think he's done a terrific job. Um, and I think if they can maintain this upward trajectory, Brentford, I think he will be being talked about for big jobs, not just in this country, but maybe in Europe as well, where his stock is rising. Arsenal have scored in each of their last seven matches this season. Uh, and uh, I think we'll probably be in for a rip-roaring game here, won't we, Kevin? Yeah, I think so. It's two teams that like to attack, two teams that commit men forwards. I I'm... I think the big question about Arsenal going forward is not really for now. It's for when they have all those congested fixtures, when they play in Europe a lot, how are they going to deal with that? Because they rotated against Zurich. I didn't think they played very well against no. Zurich. Uh, they got the win, but I didn't think it was a great performance. And they're going to have to be able to deal with that rhythm of playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, because they will have designs on going far in the Europa League. They should. They should be one of the favourites, given the depth of squad that they have. So that's going to be a big challenge for them going forward. I would like to see a bit more of Fabio Vieira. I know he didn't play particularly well uh, against Zurich, but I do think there's a really exciting player there going forward. So be interesting to see how much he, how much game time he gets. But Erdegaard, obviously, in that kind of position, is understandably and correctly the main guy. OK, uh, final game uh, for this weekend is Everton against uh, West Ham. It's a 2.15 kickoff on uh, Sunday. Everton haven't won any of their last seven matches in the Premier League. How do they beat West Ham? Because on paper, the Hammers look quite strong, look stronger than Everton anyway, don't they? Especially in their goal-scoring aspect. See, just looking at your facial expression there, which obviously the listeners can't see because no. we not in vision, um, you're not sure what to make of West Ham. You don't really know what West Ham are. And I think no, I'm similar at I the start of this season. I, I, I sort of, I, I look at the squad and I think, oh, God, they've got some really good players. Yeah. There. You know, Skamaka obviously has come in. They look to have strengthened in key areas. Obviously, Erd has not played as much because he picked up an injury. But, um, strengthening the defence was a big priority for them as well. Tilo Kera has come in, who I've always thought is a good player. He's had a very difficult time at the start of his West Ham United career. 
Um, and there was al- almost like a little bit of a reluctance to take the handbrake off from David Moyes in yeah. the opening weeks of the season. And I felt like, I don't know. I, d- I don't know. It's, it's, been, it's an intense environment to work in, that West Ham environment. He, he demands a lot, David Moyes, from his staff and his, his, his people around him. And I just wonder whether or not they're at that point now where it's either going to go like really, really well or everyone's just a little bit fatigued by the intensity of the whole situation. I think the two Czech boys are, are um, a symbol of that. Haven't and I think, played well for a year, have they, really? No. And I've seen West Ham a couple of times this season. I've commentated their games. I think they're a team who are going to find it difficult to win, to turn one point into three. I think when they do get a victory, it's going to be really hard fought. They're not going to get too many free hits. I think they're going to draw a lot of games. I think this will be a draw, to be honest. Kevin? I think they've had a really interesting journey from being a team that primarily thought about staying in the Premier League to suddenly a team that you think, oh, well, they'll be in the mix to qualify for Europe. You know, they've been in Europe in back-to-back campaigns. That's not a West Ham thing. Uh, that And that dynamic has been a big change. And I think they do have good players. I find the Skamaka thing really interesting because him and Antonio are not the same. They're not interchangeable. And... So therefore, I worry that you're going to get a similar situation to what you got with Sebastian Allaire in the sense that, and that's not just a Moyes thing, but just in the sense that they've got a good player there who they don't quite know how to use. So I think there's a lot of talent there, but I don't know what their expectation is. I don't know what they are in terms of a club, not a team, but as a club. Are they a club that targets Europe every season? Are they a club that's happy to stay up? You think they've moved beyond that? So it feels like a club in flux very much at the moment. For Everton, I don't know where the goals are coming from. It's been ages since that. I think you have to go back to that win over Palace, don't you? The last time they scored multiple goals in the Premier League game. And that's a big concern to me. Well, I know can Neil, Neil Mopé be a focal point of this attack? I mean, Calvert-Lewin, actually, apparently, there is sort of signs that he could return very shortly. Um, look, Frank Lampard's had him had them on the training ground throughout the course of this period. They did well in their last league game against Liverpool. They created yeah. some, some good chances, actually. Um, Mopé hasn't scored since February, but there is signs. There is there's something there. I, I do think there's something yeah. there. I know they've only scored four goals in six games, but there's something there with Everton, I think. I think it's just a matter of time before it starts to come out. There's more there than I thought there was at the start of the season when I predicted them to go down. Mm. I don't think they'll go down. Mm. I think they'll still so be... So you've come away to, around to my way of thinking. Yeah, because I think they had a good window. It's only but, September. Which, which I didn't no, tell I you agree was going to happen. The, the lack of goals is yeah. a problem is your up until again? Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets fit. Beep, beep, if he beep, can beep, stay beep. fit, I think they'll be fine. Neil Mope will get seven or eight goals over the course of the season, but he will keep the West Ham defence on their toes. His movement, he's a pest. He's difficult yeah. to play against. So he will be. He has other great qualities. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But So you're accepting that you probably went a little bit too early with slagging off uh, Frank Lampard and his team. Uh, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Manchester United leads postponed. Chelsea, Liverpool postponed. Uh, Brighton, uh, Crystal Palace uh, postponed. Look, the the truth is it was unavoidable um, because of transport issues and policing scenarios. It means the mass movement of people is going to be very difficult uh, this weekend anyway. So that's why some of the games haven't gone ahead. Um, Squeezing them in is going to be difficult. Arsenal, Manchester City is also going to go. Uh, because they're going to play a Europa League game in the middle of October when they're supposed to be playing a Premier League game. So that then gets displaced and then it goes somewhere else. So it does mean a, a fiction nightmare. I don't know what the the solution is, really. I think you probably just wait and see because it's still September yeah. and we're going on till June. So there may well be scenarios where you can fit fixtures in in the early part of January. I mean, the, I, I don't know, but there was a report this week about the scrapping of FA Cup replays. I think that will be a bad idea. Um, bad idea because why? No one plays FA Cup replays. If you've ever, like, I mean, I work in for a channel that does a lot of FA Cup. Trust me, there's not many FA Cup replays. Some years, there's only one or two. So if you've reserved the whole midweek for FA Cup replays, believe me, there's every possibility you will be able to play quite a lot of those games in those slots. Also, Carabao Cup semi-finals. You know, only four teams play in the Carabao Cup semi-finals. Yeah. And occasionally a team from outside 
the top flight gets into them. And that's more likely this time, by the way, because the fourth round or fifth, the final round before the semi-finals is taking place about three days after the World Cup final. So most Premier League teams will be playing the reserves. So the idea that you can't play Premier League games in that week is also rubbish because you can. You, you, you can just fit them around. I, I just think there is enough slack in the schedule to get rid of one round of matches, which is all it is, really. It's just one round of matches, two for Arsenal, but one round of matches for everybody else. So, look, just don't panic. Just don't overreact. Let's just chill. Let's get through it slowly. That's my advice. It's a good headline, though, isn't it? Fixture congestion, panic. How are we going to get these games in? Ah, Quite easily, actually. Yeah, exactly. It's not that difficult. Unless, obviously, Klopp will moan about it. Pep will moan about it. Everybody else will moan about it because that's what they do. You know, there's too many fixtures. All right, well, don't get to the Carabao Cup semi-final then. Uh, We've got to fit the All-Star series in as well, remember, between now and the end of the season. Yeah. On the subject of fixture congestion, I've got to go to a press conference now, so I'm going to have to bid farewell. Oh, right, okay. All right, see you later, you know. I stayed for most oh, of the pod this I week. That was very showbiz of him, wasn't it? I want it? to be on the podcast. Don't ever do a podcast without me. But, you know, uh, I've got a fixed schedule. And if you uh, if it overruns <laughs> over that fixed schedule, I'm going. Just so I can't keep, I'm not I can't being keep funny. King Ralph waiting. Kev, Kev, he is the biggest diva I've ever oh, yeah. worked with. He is unbelievable. He is like demar- so demanding. Next week, he's going off to Portugal and he wants everything to work around his flight schedule and all that kind of stuff. Of like, mate, just to let you know, not just the Alex Crook show. I mean, listen, you're a big part of it, mate, but it's not just the Alex Crook show. Um, right, Kev, thank Judas you very much. Chalmers made fewer trips to Portugal than he has in his life. I know. Virtually uh, lives there. Unbelievable. Uh, right, okay, thank you very much for your contribution today. Enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a good one. And, uh, of course, we've got four games live on Talk Sport and Talk Sport 2 over the weekend. We're very much looking forward to it, starting on Friday night, 8 o'clock. And then over the weekend, Saturday 12.30 and Sunday 12 o'clock as well. Loads of football. In fact, four of the games of the seven are on Talk Sports, so you know what you should be tuned into. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 